You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome, everyone, to the Writer's Block Podcast, Season 2, Episode 4. I'm your host, Brandon Laurie, and alongside me, I do have Brandon Clements and David Hallman. Once again, Chris ended up on the IR, unfortunately, so he will be back hopefully next week. But again, he's on and off the IR. It's not gonna, it's not looking good for him for the rest of the year, but hopefully he can stay healthy, put it all together uh, down the stretch. Uh, I appreciate you guys holding down the fort for me while I was gone on vacation, but clearly I cannot leave you guys alone because when I do that, apparently the Cowboys lose. Uh, they lose in pretty terrible fashion to the Arizona Cardinals, 28-16. Uh, to 16. There were some good things that happened, like me going away on vacation, but a lot of bad. Um, so I'll turn it to you, Brandon, first. What was your initial takeaway from the game that you want to talk about? Certain, Because, again, we always mention at the writer's block, it's sort of a airing of grievances like Festivus, just therapy session. Uh, what's sort of your, your grievance that you want to take away from the game? I just think the Cowboys played flat. It was just flat from the start. It was awful. I mean, just, just watching it, you know, I mean – uh, I mean, what's his face there? The the quarterback Dobbs, Josh Dobbs breaks it for like almost 50 yards on like this. What was the second play of the game? Like, yeah. like I knew from there, I'm like, Oh, this is, this is not the start we needed here. And, and I know Josh Dobbs, I followed his career when he was in college and the sec played for Tennessee. You know, my, you know, I followed him with the, with the Steelers. Like he, he, he's always had the skills. Like he's actually like, he's a very intelligent guy. So like, like when people are like, oh, he's only been with the team like a couple, you know, what, two, three weeks at this point. Like he's a very intelligent guy. He's a gamer. He's always been one of those guys where I felt like since he got in the league, I felt like he was one of the better backups or at least developmental backups in the league. And when the Cardinals put him in, I'm like, all right, well, they, you know, I know they're tanking for for Caleb Williams or uh, Shador Sanders. I mean, that's probably what everybody was thinking. But after the 28 to 16, uh, I would just say it was it was the score doesn't really indicate how bad the Cowboys played. The Cardinals just outplayed in every aspect of the game. Coach Gannon uh, for uh, for the Cardinals, of course, of course, he has Philadelphia Eagle ties. So I'm sure well, I'm sure a lot of Philadelphia Eagle fans are very happy to hear about that, where uh, Coach Gannon gets his first ever win. And it's a, it's at the Cowboys expense. So it was, you know, it, it really was like from start to finish. It just was not a good game. The, the Cowboys just, they came out flat. We obviously, the, the, the three offensive linemen situation, which I know we're going to get into in a little bit, that played a role. You know, I was, I, I, had, I saw the running in the wall first, it, you know, when, when I was doing the round table last week with RJ and RJ and, uh, and Tony and Danny Phantom, it was, you know, I was, I was the, I was the lone ranger. I was the one guy that was like, I'm selling on the offensive line depth. And, you know, I hate to say it, but I was right. Like, it just it just didn't work. You know, the combination didn't work. It was, 
you know, and I know a lot of people blame Dak for, you know, his performance, but it's, it's a combination of things. Like he's not, he's not solely to blame, but he's, he, he doesn't get absolved from blame. It was, it was a collective effort on both sides of the ball, but I like to do one thing here and I want to bring up something very positive and it was our namesake, Lori. Uh, so Brandon Aubrey, I got the stats here and it was actually very interesting. So he is the first rookie kicker in Cowboys franchise history to make his first 10 field goal attempts. Aubrey is also the fifth kicker in NFL history to make 10 field goals in his first three games. So if there is a bright spot right now, there's your, there's your guy. And a lot of people wanted uh, Robbie Gold, Mason Crosby, this guy, that guy. Uh, of course, you leave it to a Brandon to steady things, at least in one aspect of the game. <laughs> but uh, overall, it was just a, a flat performance. And uh, it's just time to time to move on and, and face a Bill Belichick, New England Patriots team, which that's not going to be an easy game. I don't care what anybody says about the Patriots. It's Bill Belichick, so the Cowboys need to be ready and it needs to be a bounce back so we don't start collecting uh, a losing streak here. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you on, on it being just a flat performance. Um, it, it was it, it really, for me, it was frustrating just because all throughout the week, you know, there was the talk about, like, could this be a trap game? Um, I was pointing out throughout the week how, like, the Cowboys historically, like, they've, in the last few years, they've struggled against the Cardinals. They've specifically struggled in State Farm Stadium, which is where the Cardinals play. Um, we all know about the turf there. We saw in the Super Bowl how players were, like, slipping. Weird things happen there. Um, in their last, I think it was their last five games, the Cowboys uh, in State Farm Stadium, they've been favored in all five of those games, and they're two and three. Now they're two and four. So, you know, I was just, part of me was worried about, like, this could be a trap game. If they don't take things seriously, it can definitely become a trap game. Um, Just as far as, like, talent, like, on paper, they're clearly the better team. But at the same time, with it being on the road, with it being, you know, having the injuries on the offensive line, losing Trayvon Diggs, there were enough things to where if they did not come in locked in the way that they were for the Jets and for the Giants – that they could easily lose this game. And that's exactly what we saw. So it was it was very frustrating to watch that. But then at the same time, kind of not really a positive note, but kind of a silver lining that I took away from it afterwards was, one, it's one game. Mm-hmm. And just how, like, you know, after week one and after week two, all the Cowboys detractors were saying, oh, you know, it's it's just one game. Like, you, you great, you beat the Jets, you beat the Giants. Like, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything you know, you can win as, as well as you want or you can lose as bad as you want and it's still one game. It's one win, it's one loss. And also just looking around the rest of the NFL from week three, like there was a lot of bad football in week three. Like there were not a whole lot of games that were necessarily like fascinating, entertaining games when the Dolphins hung 70 points on, on yeah. the Broncos. Um, and uh, I mean, the, the Texans blew out the Jaguars, the Ravens lost in overtime to the Colts. Like, there were just a lot of teams that are probably pretty good, either played poorly and scraped by, or they just straight up lost this week. So um, it, it kind of makes me feel a little bit better that it's not necessarily, you know, it's, it's not like the Cowboys just completely fell apart, even though on some level, yeah, they did against a, an inferior team. But, you know, it's, it's everybody's kind of going through it. It's week three, you know, you've played a couple games, guys are sore, they're bruised for the first time this season you're getting in your, your first adversity of the year and you're seeing how you respond and you grow from it. And that's, that's just how these things go. So that kind of put it back into perspective for me of, yeah, it, it sucked and it was frustrating, but it's also week three. The Cowboys are two and one. There's, you know, only 
a handful of teams that are better than that in terms of record wise. So, you know, it's, it's a long season. Yeah, we'll no, go from here. I, I agree. And that was one thing that John Owning brought up from PFF. He said the Super Bowl champion Chiefs lost uh, last year to the fighting Matt Ryan um you know, Indianapolis Colts. And that was in week three. He's like, bad losses to bad teams happen, um, even to the best teams. And I responded, I was like, my eighth grade teacher would be mad at me for the sentence. But I said, every team and every player gets up every Sunday to play every game. I mean, that's just how it is. It's just any given Sunday in the NFL. And that's how, that's the beauty of the sport, right? Is that it's, a, there's a lot of parody. Everybody's shooting for 500 and then you're either better or worse than that. Um, I think it's that's what makes this game so special. And again, shout out to the Cardinals for how they prepared. They they played really well. Gannon knows the Dallas offense very well, having his time been in Philadelphia. You know, he played them very well, um, defending the offense. And then not to mention, too, one of the things they brought up is that they ran sort of Philadelphia offensive schemes in their offense in Arizona with a bunch of RPOs and stuff like that. So the Cowboys have had problems with that in the past and they exploited it. And clearly it was something that hasn't been fixed, but the Cowboys can correct it. Like you mentioned, Hellman, it is only week three. The sky shouldn't be falling necessarily. I, I said, listen, it, they could have been the Broncos, as you mentioned, and they could have been the Jaguars who both looked a lot worse than what the Cowboys did. Um, you can mention and they that could have been the Bears. Yeah, yeah. With a, with a worse week than the Bears. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Taylor Swift showed up to the Kansas City Chiefs, but the the Bears did not show up in Kansas City. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's just one of those things where you could be a lot worse than where the the Cowboys are at right now. And yeah, the Trayvon Diggs injury might loom a little bit large now for the rest of the year, depending on how things shake out. But I think when you're trying to move all these parts around. Injuries happen later in the week. Trayvon Diggs got injured later in the week. I think that throws a lot of things off um, for game planning. I was going to add, too, I know obviously the whole Trayvon Diggs injury to his knee, it made me think of another player that actually I want to go back to a positive note really quick, and I was just thinking about it. Uh, Michael Gallup, who is, you know, he's getting back into his second season. He looked like the Michael Gallup that we're familiar with when the Cowboys signed, you know, obviously they they saw enough in him while he was injured to sign that big contract, that big contract extension that he got. I mean, this was his first game that I've seen him look like the Michael Gallup. I mean, he had six catches, 92 yards. I mean, 15.3 yards average. He tied with CeeDee Lamb and Jake Ferguson for targets, seven. So he reeled in six out of seven targets. So I just want I, I, I couldn't do this show without making sure I gave some love to Michael Gallup because, you know, not, every, not everybody else, you know, the, the team itself did not play well. But Michael Gallup, if, if we can get more of that each week, and had Brandon Cooks do his thing and CD doing his thing, I, I think I think the ship will be uh, the ship will be uh, we'll straighten that ship out. Yeah, no, I I hundred percent agree, and I think that you know we've mentioned that we're doing this power rankings, this roster power rankings each week, but I think when it when a loss happens like this, and there's a lot of things that kind of need to be corrected and kind of analyzed here, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of take a different approach to talk about the game, talk about a little bit of the negatives that might have popped up. Um, we're going to call it the BTB Garage, or maybe the Writer's Block Garage, uh, patent pending on the title. Uh, but to me, an NFL team, in this case the Dallas Cowboys, is like a car in a situation where all the parts have to be moving together, everything has to be moving smooth in order for it to drive and to work properly. Sometimes problems pop up, you you know, that's just the nature of an NFL season. But what you have to do is you have to take it back into the garage for servicing, kind of iron things out. And in this case, it's the Cowboys getting ready for the Patriots this week. Um, so, and actually, a recent oil change that I had on my car, I brought this up earlier in the pre-show, sparked this idea. It's sort of like every time you go, there's a million things wrong, and they try and get you on a price. It's like you know, air filter, cabin filter, all this stuff. It's like, well, I just came in for an oil change. Do I need to address all these problems? 
sometimes you do have a lot more things going on that you don't necessarily see, but you have to look at it logically, um, cost effective, be wise with our, all your spending. So we're going to do that. Um, I, I want to start with Halman because um, I know we started with Brandon on this. What's the first thing that sort of you want to address? What's When you pop open the hood for the Cowboys after this loss, what's the first thing you see as a problem? Yeah, the first thing that really jumps out to me when I pop open the hood of this car, um, it's the red zone offense. And, um, you know, this was something that we kind of talked about a little bit after the Jets game because, um, you know, they had several possessions that got into the red zone and they stalled out. And we all kind of chalked it up to, oh, well, you know, they're, they're playing with a big lead. They're being conservative. They're not really taking a whole lot of chances. And that's fair. And that was probably the case there. <clears throat> and, and some of it was also kind of worked out because they got more kicking experience for Brandon Aubrey. He responded well, got him some confidence, and that's obviously – uh, as Brandon mentioned earlier, like that's translated now and he's, you know, on, off to a great start. But then this is the week, this is really the first week of the season where the Cowboys offense has needed to score points. And in week one, they had a lead before the offense even really took the field. Week two, it was, you know, not necessarily easy, but they, it was a lot easier than anyone expected against that Jets defense. And they ran into adversity here. They They needed to score points and they had to do it without – three starters on the offensive line. So it was, it was kind of weird because the Cowboys offense adjusted well and they were able to move the ball. But then once they got into the red zone, that's when suddenly they looked like an offense without three starting offensive linemen. They looked like things were disjointed, like they couldn't really do what they were trying to do. And, you know, guys weren't getting open. There were a lot of receivers that were really crowded at the catch point when they were in the red zone. It was crazy because guys were open between the 20s, like middle of the field, guys were getting open. Things were just, it was a, to keep with the metaphors, a well-oiled machine. But then once you get into the red zone, it was just like things just started sticking. You start hearing that that ugly noise that your car makes sometimes, and you're just like, oh, what's wrong? I should probably get that checked out. Um, so obviously, you know, this is, this is not a good situation. You are not going to have an effective team if you only kick field goals, especially if your defense isn't able to, keep teams out of the out of the opposing end zone like they were against the Cardinals, which was a big shock given, you know, Josh Dobbs and his relative inexperience. The fact that the Cardinals offensive coordinator is the second youngest play caller in the NFL, ironically only behind Kellen Moore. Um, and this is his first year on the job. So if you're going to have some issues on the defensive side, you want to have an offense that can score touchdowns, not field goals. And I mean, it, it's kind of, it's really hard at this point to definitively say what the fix is for the red zone because, like I said, this is the first real game where they've had to score points, where they really like needed to press the issue. But even then, it wasn't necessarily a normal situation because, again, they didn't have three of their starters on the offensive line. That really impacts how they call the game. We saw repeatedly, like on third down, Dak Prescott, when he did drop back to pass, he was throwing quick passes to mitigate the pressure you know, throwing short of the sticks, hoping that guys could create after the catch and, and move the chains, move first down. Um, so I, I really, at this point, think probably the best fix is going to be just getting those offensive linemen healthy. So I'm kind of, I'm doing what I always do when I run into into your situation of going to the oil change and they tell me that, you know, here's 15 things you need to fix. And my response is always, yeah, probably not a big deal. I'll just wait. It'll, it'll be fine. <laughs> yes. I kind of think that's the situation here with the red zone offense. I imagine things are going to get worked out over time. Once you have an offensive line, you're able to run it more effectively. 
also just considering the changes in the weapons that they have. I mean, last year, Dalton Schultz had the second most red zone targets on this offense. Ezekiel yeah. Elliott was a big force of, you know, they, they feeded him a lot in the red zone with rushing attempts. Both of those guys are gone and they have some other good weapons, but they haven't really done this before. They haven't played together in a real game and had to score in the red zone with these new guys. So I think it's, you know, get healthy, get more reps between guys um, and probably just practice a little bit more on red zone. Yeah. Oh, and where I thought the game was sort of lost and you could correct me if I'm wrong on this. Um, I know you also document the McCarthy Chronicles and everything throughout the week, uh, weekly for blogging the boys, but where Mike McCarthy had the decision to go for it on fourth and three at the Arizona four in the third quarter, instead of kicking the field goal um, to kind of make it still a, a third, uh, it would have been 16 to 21 score. And they would have been, you know, with still within one score game, but they went it forward on fourth and three. And it was an incomplete pass. Of course, on that drive, uh, there was the fumble that happened with Dak where he threw an incomplete pass to Michael Gallup. And there was also the holding penalty on Chuma Odoga, which made you, third and 13 and so they were already set back a little bit it, for you Howman, is that where it was lost for you like did you want McCarthy to go for the field goal instead of going for it on fourth down because then the following time that they were in the red zone um, they kicked the field goal and then had to kind of rush back and then then that's when the interception happened for Dak on that drive um, yeah I mean I think I think the decision to go for it there is a smart one just because of where you are on the field the fact that it's fourth and short at that point um, and if you know in the case where that did happen, where they didn't get it, then the Cardinals take the field. They're backed up in the shadow of their own end zone. Just, you know, the, the numbers, the math, it, it really checks out because if you, you know, if you can convert great, like you, you're, you've just increased your odds of, of winning the game by making that fourth down conversion. But if you don't, then of course you give your defense a really favorable field position there with the offense taking over and there's very little room for error. And actually, as we saw, like one thing that, with how many other things like didn't just happen in this game, it kind of got lost is where the Cardinals on, on the next drive, like they had that holding penalty and there was kind of a little bit of discussion on the broadcast of, well, it, you know, he was in the end zone, but did they throw the flag like before he was in the end zone? You know, it, it was like very close to being a safety. So that's kind of one of the advantages that comes with, you know, the, the, the downside of if you, you know, if you don't get it, that's obviously bad, but then you do back your opponent up for situations like that. And, um, you know, as far as the actual play they called, people just didn't get open. Dak had to – he got flushed out of the pocket and wasn't able to scramble for the first down, had to throw it, and nobody was open. And it's just, you know, Cardinals, you got to give them credit because they covered things up really well, you know, as we talked about with Gannon, having experience against the Cowboys. They did a really good job, and, you know, that's the other thing is they deserve some credit because, you know, they came out and they played and they outplayed the Cowboys in, in situations like that and throughout the whole game. Brandon, for you, what what would be your solution for the red zone offense? Because I think we can all agree that that is a problem for the Cowboys. Uh, when you look at their conversion rate, it's gone down since week one. I think they were three for four in week one against the Giants, and people were a little concerned with, with what happened in that game. But then against the Jets, you could chalk it up to a really great defense. And who knows, the, the Cardinals might be at this time – uh, by the end of the year, um, we could say, you know what, they were a really good red zone defense and they're not letting anybody score once they get to the red zone. Mike McCarthy talked about how the safeties were playing deep. So if you go and dink and dunk all the way down to the end zone and they 
prevent uh, something from scoring seven points for an offense and they're just doing field goals all day, that might be a recipe for them to win, you know, this year. And we can look back on it and say, well, you know, the Cardinals played it tough each and every team throughout the year. But what would your solution be if it's something that maybe is it a play call issue? Is it the fact that they can't really run when they're in the red zone? Separation with wide receivers. I know that there was a clip of, uh, I believe, CD and Jake Ferguson maybe running into each other uh, in the red zone. So what would your solution be? I honestly would have liked to seen them use more Rico. Like I just, I think Rico is going to be the, he's going to be our Zeke Elliott. I've said it before. I've said it again. I think Rico, he's, you know, he's not as big as Zeke, but he's 215 pounds. He's a pretty solid back. He's very elusive as well as he, as you saw at the later, latter part of the game where he made seven defenders almost, it was, you know, it wasn't Barry Sanders esque, but it was, you know, he was able to get through there. And I thought at that point, the Cowboys, you know, they may have a squeaked out of hope, you know, hopes of coming back just off of that. But I felt like, I felt like Rico Dotto, I felt like he should have gotten more run. I think he, I'm see here, he got four touches, 21 yards, 5.3 yard average, he had the same exact average as Tony Pollard. I know Tony had 23 touches. I'm not taking anything away from Tony Pollard because Tony Pollard had, you know, he, he, he played well considering the offensive line issues. And I think for me, it, it all comes back to the offensive line. 60% of the offensive line that you're expecting to start this season was out. So for me, that right there changes how you do things. And, you know, you know, I think passing in certain, like I understand running the ball, you know, is a good idea, but you know, it would passing, I didn't like, I didn't like them running it so much at the end when they wasted two minutes on the clock when it was like, what, I think it was like five minutes remaining. And then it went down to like three or it was, it was in that range. I know it was, like they got down there quick and I just felt like the, the red zone management at the end of the game was just a little, you know, you know, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to criticize McCarthy because McCarthy, I, you know, I do respect what he's been doing. I think he's, you know, he's, he's been, he's been a pretty good coach this year. Obviously he's got two and he's two and one, but I felt like they were a little lackadaisical when they got in the red zone. It was like, like you mentioned, there was some confusion at some points. I just felt like they kept running similar plays. Like it was like, all right, run up the middle. It's like you don't have the lead. You can't waste time. You need to. You need to get on the ball. You need to. Like they, I, it was uh, to me. It was so predictable that Coach Gannon, who obviously is a, you know he's a defensive guy from from Philly, he knew he knew what he he knew what they were doing. It was easy for them to stop, and they wasted time. And then that setup where Dak finally had to force it into the you know the triple coverage because as you saw there, where he threw the ball, there was three Cardinals right there. Like it was it was a cardinal sin. I'll just use that. Where he where he did that, so that was that was my issue. But I'm just going to go back to this. It was the three out of the five off- offensive linemen were out this week. I know you can't use that as an excuse. I'm not going to sit here and say that was the only reason why the Cowboys lost because that's not true. There are a lot of things that happen, and the reason why the Cowboys lost. But it doesn't help when you have three guys who, in my opinion, are three of the best at their position still in this game today. Zach Martin's the, arguably the best guard in the game. Biotish is a very underrated center. I think he's one of the better ones in the league. And Tyron Smith, another another guy who's a future Hall of Famer. Like you have those caliber guys off the team right now with injuries. That's 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 not going to help. But to me, I think what they need to do going forward, if they're going to run the ball inside the twenty, they need to give it to Rico, or or you can obviously get it. You can get it to Hunter Lepke. I think Hunter Lepke he he did a good job as well. But to me, and I've said it before. 
Tony Pollard, and this is not a, you know, I'm not trying to give Tony Pollard flack or anything. Tony Pollard to me is like, if you're a fantasy football fan, he's like the 20 to 20 guy. And then you give Rico Dottle and maybe a Hunter Lepke the inside, you know, inside the 20 in the red zone touches, because I think his, I, I feel like Rico delivers a better blow, so to speak, versus Pollard. Pollard to me is more of the, he's more of the jitterbug, obviously, which as you've seen on, on, on that 31 yard rush that he had. But to me, Rico Dotto is the hammer in this in this run run attack. So I would have liked to see them be a little more creative with that. You know, maybe stack it a little bit better. You know, I would have liked to see the tight ends block a little bit better as well. But to me, it, it comes down to the offensive line and then getting Rico Dotto some more touches down there. Yeah, Brandon. I, I mean, I agree with like pretty much everything you said. Um, I, I'm going to take it a step further though. I am going to criticize McCarthy's play calling, especially there at the end. And I mean, you guys know I've I've been a big McCarthy fan since he showed up in Dallas. I, all off season, I've been pounding the drum that like he's gonna he's gonna be a better play caller than Kellen Moore was. Um, things are gonna be you know going better. And I honestly, I was really disappointed, especially there at the end, like you were talking about, where I mean, five minutes you get into the red zone with five minutes left, and then you call five straight runs, and you get I think it was like twelve total yards out of them. You burn off two minutes a clock. You're substituting guys in between, and that's why, like, you saw, like, Dak kind of yelling at the refs because they're going up and they're stopping them from snapping the ball quickly because, obviously, if you substitute, you have to let the defense substitute. And, like, it's just all the things that you should not be doing as a play caller, they were doing. They were were wasting time. They were running inefficient plays. They were – you know, they, they were not letting Dak, like, get back into the rhythm that he was as a thrower. And then guess what? Third and goal, and you give him a throw, and it's like, I got to have a situation. And, you know, time is now the main enemy, and he forces a throw, and it gets picked off. Like, I'm not saying that, like, Dak gets zero blame for that because it was a bad decision. It was a bad throw. But this is what we saw last year with Kellen Moore's offense is a lot of those interceptions came when Dak was kind of in a – desperation gotta have it throw and he you know made made a decision because it's like well if i don't force it here then you know we're gonna turn the ball over anyway and then it turns into an interception and we all get on him over the interception so that was frustrating to see that kind of that sequence but also you know you're, you're talking about like giving the ball more to rico dow hunter lepke what about like deuce vaughn Kevontae yeah. turpin yeah uh, at a certain point i, I had to like I, I was second guessing myself because I write the inactives article before each game, and I was like, Deuce Vaughn wasn't inactive, right? Like I, I didn't, I'm remembering correctly, he was active. He played one snap the whole game, and it was on special teams. Mm-hmm. Didn't see the didn't see the field on offense. Gavante Turpin had I think six snaps, didn't touch the ball once. Weird. And like especially in a game like this where you have problems at the offensive line. Dak has to get the ball out quicker than he was even in the first two weeks. And he was doing that to his credit. He was getting the ball out. But like we said, you know, a lot of the throws were short of the sticks. They were relying on yards after the catch. So why not scheme up plays to Deuce Vaughn and Kevante Turpin, two of your most explosive players? Why not put them in the situation to do what they are best at, especially since the defense was doing a good job of uh, not giving easy throws to CeeDee Lamb? Like, you know, it, it, we, we talked about Michael Gallup. I'm great. He had a great game and he looked real good doing it. But at the same time, if you need a quick throw to someone to get you yards after the catch, Deuce Vaughn and Kevante Turpin are the first guys you should be going for. And neither of them touched the ball. So, you know, again, to, to kind of take some of the negativity back, like it is just one game. 
And, you know, maybe if that's something that McCarthy sees in the film room and says, hey, I messed up, like, I got to do a better job next time. Um, and, you know, and I, I trust him as a veteran coach, veteran play caller to, to fix that. But that is one of the things that really stood out is, you know, Rico Daddle could have gotten the ball more, but also like Deuce Vaughn and, and Turpin, like they got to get the ball, especially in those situations. And you got to run faster when, you know, when, when time is of the essence and they just weren't doing it. And I do think that with regards to McCarthy, he mentioned in his post game and he mentioned today uh, in his Monday press conference when we we're recording this, he said, listen, I think the play calling falls on him, especially, I mean, it does because he's the play caller, but he said, I don't think he he fully trusted his offensive line changes. I don't think he trusted the guys to hold up. And he said that he wasn't willing to call, I think, certain plays. Not exactly, but he said, I wasn't really comfortable calling certain plays because certain alignments, different packages, those are very unique to when you have Tyron Smith, Tyler Biotish, and Zach Martin in. He, I think, went to a more conservative play calling because of that. And I don't think that's why you saw them push the ball down the field a lot more. There was probably struggles in protection. Um, you know, I think it comes back to the offensive line. And I mean, we were talking about this week one where in the red zone, I mean, you saw a lineup where it was Zach Martin, Terrence Steele, and Tyron Smith on the right side on the goal line, and Tony Pollard was able to walk in almost untouched. So I think there is something to be said about the lack of offensive line depth, and this actually might tie in, Brandon, to, to your topic and kind of like what your observation is uh, for a problem for the offense. Um, so what 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 is that problem for you? Oh, uh, it, it's it's 100% for me. It's it's offensive line, offensive line, and offensive line. I'd said it three times because there's three players missing. It's just one of those situations where, you know, and, and again, like I said it earlier, you can't blame it solely on that. But when you have the three guys that are out that are at the caliber of each one of those dudes, you're right. It changes the way you call the game because, you know, for example, maybe a Turpin's not, you know, maybe a Turpin's not going to get a call, a particular call, because they're expecting that offensive lineman to do a certain thing that maybe they're not comfortable with, with a TJ Bass or a Chuma Doga, you know, doing something, you know, something in that to that degree. You know, and that's why I felt like, you know, Rico Dotto would have been the perfect fit because I like I like his downhill style. I think he's he's one of those dudes. He's elusive enough, as we saw, but he's one of those dudes where it's just like, you, just, you know, let him go forward. I, I felt like there were there, – not everything was bad in the in the offensive line. I, I did think that Dak was doing the best he could to get the ball out as quick as possible. I mean, his average yards per pa- like per completion – 6.2 like okay you're not you're not throwing the ball downfield like it's those are that's typical west coast it's dink and dunks and and that's and that's fine and i think you know dax should get some of the blame because he had some bad throws but he had to do what he had to do you know with the pressure that was in his face all game long and that's and that's why to me the the biggest issue is the offensive line right now and the depth of it because you're losing a guy you're losing those three dudes who are arguably the best of their positions and when you do that, you know what the Cardinals are going to do. Gannon was a former Philadelphia coach. He knows that. He knows that Cowboys team. He's faced them twice a year. You know, like he knows what he knows what they're doing. So no offense, like you know, I didn't like the way the offensive line was aligned. Anyways, to me, I would have put Tyler Smith at at tackle. I thought I thought that you know I know they're trying to keep the continuity. I understand that, but at this point. I don't want to, I didn't want a Doga out there at tackle. Like I just, it just, it didn't work for me. He, to me, I felt like he was the biggest liability out there uh, on, on Sunday. Like it, it's, you know, every, I felt like every time Dak was getting, you know, he was getting those, you know, snap, get, getting the snap, literally, you know, 
you know, Adoga has already got his guy behind him. It's like he was getting pressured on. And I felt like Adoga is one of those dudes where I feel like he should have been inside a guard. They should have maybe switched that around. I felt like Adoga should have been a guard. And I felt like Tyler Smith should have been a tackle. And, and I felt like that was one of the issues. But to me, I think fixing the problem, you know, before it gets worse and before that, that, uh, that, that car is no, you know, you're getting towed by AAA. Uh, that's, you know, uh, to me, I want to, I want to fix things. So I'm a fixer and, and there's, there's going to be a Syracuse tie in here, of course, because, you know, I am, you know, oh, I'm a Syracuse guy. So, so uh, we're, we'll get to that in just a second. So there are three names in particular that are free agents to my knowledge. And this is uh, according to uh Spotrack. I know Spotrack has a lot of great information out there. So, you know, I, I was uh, looking at the free agent market so there's three names that I've, I I wouldn't mind the Cowboys taking a look at, given the cap room that they have. Um, I believe over to cap had it at about eight million in cap space, if I'm not mistaken, at this at this uh, at this juncture. So first name, he played for the Buffalo Bills last year, and the year before that, he played for the Tennessee Titans. He was a back-to-back Pro Bowler. He's a little bit older. He's okay. I shouldn't say he's that old because he's a year older than me. But um, Roger Saffold and Roger Saffold. He came in the league, you know, back in 2010, which was the same year as uh, as Tyron Smith. He was not an effective tackle, but he could. He was he was he was kind of a mediocre tackle, but he could do it. And then, you know, as he got into the league in, by year four, he was a really he became a guard, and he and that's where he became a very good player. And he's been a a constant player in the league since then. So Roger Saffold, I felt like he, you know, that's a guy that you could bring in. I don't know what it's going to cost because, you know, he's an older guy. He's a veteran. So, you know, you might be able to get him on the cheap at this point. I figure, you know, maybe a guy like that to bring in some depth, to bring in some experience. He's been, he's been in a lot of the, he's been in those trenches in the, on the line. So for me, like, that's not a bad guy to go to. And like I said, he's a two-time pro bowler and he did it in the last, the last two years. It wasn't like he did this in 2010 and 2011. He did this in 2021 with the Titans and he did it when 2022 with the Buffalo Bills. So that's that's one option. He has the positional flexibility as well. So he can play guard tackle, which I think having the flexibility is a good thing. So that's that's why Roger Saffold is my first choice. Now, my second choice, I'll leave my third one. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that particular guy in just a second. Uh, the second choice for me is a guy who we're all familiar with because he was a cowboy for a, you know, you know for what's see, uh, from 2015 to 2021. His name is Lyle Collins, and and Collins, and I know a lot of people, you know, the, you know, what is what it is. People are not going to be happy about me mentioning Lyle Collins, and I know he's coming off the the ACL injury from December, so that's obviously one factor. But the Patriots, our opponent this coming week, have actually been sniffing around uh, Lyle Collins these days. So it's you know obviously he's getting closer to being ready to uh, to suit back up in a uniform. And for me, same thing. He it, it kind of goes the opposite of Roger Saffold. He started his career with the Cowboys as a left guard, as we all know, and then he transitioned to a tackle. I've always felt like Lyle Collins was a better guard than he was a tackle. That's just my opinion. And he he's a very and I think he's a I think he was a quality tackle for the Cowboys for all those years. But I always felt like keeping him at left guard and having Zach Martin at right guard, I thought like that was always going to be the better combination. So for me, Lyle Collins, he's only 30. So he's, you know, he's, he's a, he's a, you know, a spring chicken compared to me. So, you know, he's, you know, he's got, he's still got some time to start, you know, some, some gas left in the tank where I feel like you could bring him in. And I, I feel like if, you know, if the price is right, why not? 
So for me, and he has that flexibility. So you could bring in this guy. Now my third and final option, this one is my Syracuse tie. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring in Justin Pugh. I know we talked about Justin Pugh before Justin Pugh. I I've watched his career for many, many years. I watched him in college, obviously be, being a, a Syracuse guy. And uh, he was, he was actually a very good tackle in college and he started his career back in 2013 as a first-round pick of the New York Giants. He played for the Giants from 2013 to 2017 and then joined the Arizona Cardinals up until last year. He, he was out. Uh, he, he's been injured as well. So it's another guy who's coming off of a, you know, a serious injury. He played only in five games last year. But by all accounts, he's ready. The New York Giants have actually brought him in for a tryout recently. Don't, you know, nothing, nothing has come up from it. So I don't know if they're behind the scenes working on a deal, whatnot. But Justin Pugh played right tackle, you know, for the first two years in the league with the Giants. You have, you know, in the rest of his career, he's been a guard. So again, it's positional flexibility. He's done it at the professional level. And he's also, he's, you know, he's, he's actually, he's 30, he's 33. So he's not, you know, he's, he's still got some, he's still got some, you know, gas in the tank. And I feel like if the injury is right, I feel like why wouldn't you take a chance on that guy? But it comes down to being, being if the price is right. So I wouldn't take take all three of these guys obviously because we do have some we do have some good depth. You know, in it, it, like I feel like we have somewhat depth. Like with Asim Richards, I feel like he can be good. T.J. Bass, I think he. You know, I, I like him obviously, but I I feel like I I don't know about you guys, and I might be in the minority on this one, but. Adoga just doesn't do it for me. And I feel like, you know, moving on from Adoga and I know, you know, I know he's a, he's a younger guy, young, younger prospect compared to these other guys that I mentioned, but I feel like, I feel like the other, th- one of those three guys would be a good addition to this team a veteran presence who's, you know, has that positional flexibility. And uh, I feel like it would be good for the locker room to have another veteran. That's, that's just my take. And I feel like, that would be a great way to service the Cowboys engineer, making sure those spark plugs are all ready to go and, and uh, get you down the road. Hammond, what about you? How do you feel about all those uh, options that you mentioned? Does anything kind of stick out or you just want to stick with the guys that the Cowboys have? And like you said, keep on rolling. Well, um, I mean, I, I definitely think I want to stick with the guys that, that they have right now. Um, I, I definitely want to say I'm, I'm against the Lyle Collins edition um, just because one you, as you mentioned, the health, it's not there yet, and, and that's that's tough to come back from. Um, also, when he played in Cincinnati last year, he was not good. Like, he gave up a ton of pressures, and, um, you know, that, that was kind of a trend that they saw with him towards the end of his tenure in Dallas, too, is he was, you know, not really taking the leaps that they wanted him to see as, as, a, as a pass blocker, although he was very good against the run. And also, I mean, it's not really like a huge secret that he didn't leave on the best terms with the Cowboys. And there were some, you know, kind of interpersonal things that happened there. And that, you know, it's not like it was a thing that happened under Jason Garrett. It was Mike McCarthy. I understand there's a new offensive line coach. There's a new offensive system. But at the same time, like, I don't don't really want to be bringing in a guy with, with that kind of profile, that kind of history with this team especially if it's just just to say like, Hey, you're going to ride the bench unless we really need you. I just don't think it's a good fit there. Um, I also like the guys that the Cowboys have on their depth, especially because this is probably, I mean, knock on wood, this is probably going to be the last time that they have to play three starter or three backups in a game at the same time for the full game. I mean, I I don't know. Somebody else is going to have to find the numbers, but like, what were the odds? Like how often has it happened where you have three different offensive linemen, 
go on the injured injury report and be listed as questionable, and then all three of them don't play. Like usually questionable is kind of like, yeah, they're going to play unless they really can't go. And, and they were all questionable. And it feels like at some point or another, we all heard something that seemed positive about all three of these guys. And then Sunday morning, it's like, oh, no, two of them are definitely out. Tyron Smith, the captain, we're all like, oh, yeah, he's playing. And then it's like, oh, no, he's actually not. And I loved how they kept, like, throughout the whole game, they kept cutting to Tyron on the sideline, and he just looks like all of us fans, like, just depressed. And I, I'm sure it must have been really hard for him to not be able to be out there just because of, you know, his his competitive fire, too. Um, but, I mean, you know, these, these three guys, they're going to be back soon enough. And I overall, I liked what we saw from the guys that played. Um, you know, TJ Bass had a really rough day in pass protection. He gave up three pressures. So did Chuma Idoga. Um, Brock Hoffman, to his credit, you know, but not, I'm not saying by any, by any means he was like great, but he didn't give up a pressure. I mean, he was good in pass pro. He held his own. So I, I think there's things that you see with these guys that make you believe that they can still be serviceable backups. Now, obviously, if you're going to be in a situation where you're without your starters for an extended period of time, that's when I would want to say, well, let's really look at some of these other guys. Um, another thing I just want to mention too is with specifically with having backups for both center and right guard and with this being on the road. Um, I mean, we saw pretty early in the game, they kind of transitioned to using a silent count. And that's a really big deal when you don't have your starting center or right guard, because generally, and the way that the Cowboys have run the silent count is they kind of have their right guard. He looks back at the quarterback for the signal, then he'll tap the center so that they know when they're ready to go ahead and snap it. And so, you know, you really need the communication to be tight between the center and the right guard. But then when you throw in both your center and your right guard are not only backups, they're both making their first career start. And I mean, that, that just creates just an added level of uncertainty and problems in communication and efficiency with this offense and the way that they had to run it with them being on the road in a stadium that turned out to be pretty loud. Credit to Cardinals fans for showing up and being loud. Um, so that I think is just one other thing that you have to throw into this equation of like, it was their first career start. They were playing next to each other. They had to go to a silent count. Um, you know, all those things. It, it's, it, it's just kind of one of those unfortunate situations that it's a tough way to start your career, but welcome to the NFL. It'll get better from here. I, I trust what we saw from these guys. I like their overall trajectory. Um, and hopefully, you know, this is ends up being just kind of a one-off problem because I think these three guys are going to be back before we know it. The the best car analogy that I have, and I just thought of this while you were talking, I was like, how can I compare this and, and get it back into the the whole mechanic uh, uh, analogy here? Um, there's a reason why you're only given one spare tire in your trunk. You know, it's like <laughs> it's only meant to be for one tire. You have it as your one backup, and that's it. Uh, you're not getting three spare tires. I mean, if you are down three tires on your car, you are not getting anywhere. So I do think that for the Cowboys, they can afford to have one guy missing. And we saw that, you know, we saw that when Tyler Smith wasn't there, they still had Tyler Biotish, Zach Martin and Tyron Smith. But, you know, you had a Doga at left guard. Things were, were going really well. Um, and even when a few guys went in and out of the game, Zach Martin was dealing with an ankle injury against the Jets. TJ Bass came in and then, but quickly he came back, Zach Martin did, and then things were rolling again. So I think that the minute you lose more than one, things aren't really going to go your way. And like you mentioned, Hammond, credit to the guys for stepping in, um, in a very difficult situation. I think Mike McCarthy, he mentioned also in his press conference that he needs to get these guys, I think a little bit better during the week. 
I think maybe there was a case where they were hoping that they would be better, that that these injuries wouldn't kind of keep them out. I think the Tyron one caught them by surprise uh, as they were talking. It just seemed like that it was something that popped up on game day and the inactives were already sent out and he couldn't be inactive. He was still kind of active and then just sitting out the entire game. So I think that you mentioned it probably won't happen again, knock on wood. But if it does, at least they they stocked up on spare tires. Um, they have their donuts in the trunk. You know, they have Bass. They have Richards. They have Adoga. They have these guys in Hoffman um, and even the other guy, Sean Harlow, uh, who they brought up from the practice squad as well. You know, like they have these guys prepared. At least they have some experience, and that's that's good. To talk about when you're mentioning the cost to kind of improve something, I don't think we can get out of here without talking about the run defense, and that's sort of like what I want to talk about, where to me the engine of this team is the defense. We've seen that through the first three weeks when the offense isn't really kind of going on all cylinders. The defense is really the one that kind of sets the tone. It's been that way for the previous few years. Um, But to me, there was a leak on Sunday, and that was the run defense. Um, The Cowboys tried addressing this problem by getting Mozzie Smith, re-signing Leighton Vander Esch, bringing back Donovan Wilson, Jonathan Hankins. Uh, they drafted players like Junior Fajoko and DeMarvin Overshone. Um, unfortunately, both players haven't gotten into the lineup yet. Overshone, of course, getting the ACL injury in the preseason. So I still think that the run defense is good. I mean, Demarcus Lawrence, according to PFF, is still graded as the number one run defender in the NFL across all positions on the defense. So that's positive. He's been dominant in that area for a few years now. Micah Parsons, I think, still ranks in the top 10. So that's great, but you can't have those guys sort of be the end-all, be-all. I don't want to kill Mozzie Smith yet, and we could talk about this, um, get your perspective on it, guys. I mean, it's just for me. I have not seen enough to to warrant saying, oh, he needs to be benched in favor of Neville Gallimore or Quentin Bohan or any, any of these guys. To me, I think he's done a good job. Micah Parsons talked about it on a show today on Bleacher Report. He was mentioning, like, Mozzie's the type of guy that you're probably going to see midseason, late season, just develop. The, the rookie needs reps. You're seeing the Jets right now. A lot of fans are complaining about how Will McDonald is sitting and being a healthy scratch, a healthy inactive. And the reason why you draft these first round picks is to get them in action, to learn a trial by fire. You know, we've talked about this before, how Jordan Davis last year for the Eagles was not the Jordan Davis that he is this year because he got better throughout the year. He learned from a lot of things and then took what he learned into the second year. So I think Mozzie's doing okay, um, given the sort of the situation, but to me, the Cowboys, they allowed 222 rushing yards, uh, the most across the, the two weeks combined where they only allowed 176 uh, against the Giants and the Jets. And, you know, I was hearing that the Cardinals had a different style of run that was a little bit more aggressive and didn't really play in favor of the Cowboys defense and how they played. But to me, when you're going against Saquon Barkley, Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook, I mean, James Conner isn't those guys. Or He's certainly not at that talent level. I, I respect Conner for him as a running back, but he's not, to me, a Saquon Barkley. I just think that the way I talked about this on Matt O'Leary, who covers the Jets for his own show, he asked, how could the Jets beat the Cowboys? And I said, it's running the ball and playing to the Cowboys over aggression, over pursuit. And that's exactly what the Cardinals were doing, playing very similar run concepts to the Eagles and sort of a mobile quarterback with RPOs. So I think that's the problem. So what type of leak is this? Is it a long-term one? Is it short-term? I look at, you know, the Cowboys defense is struggling against mobile quarterbacks in the past. We've seen that, especially at Philadelphia last year. I think Jalen Hurts caught Micah Parsons in a very difficult situation. And the quarterbacks that they have remaining on the schedule, you have Jalen Hurts twice, Daniel Jones again, Sam Howell, not 
as at that level of a mobile quarterback, but he still is pretty quick with his feet. We saw that last year and, and this year he's doing really well. And then of course they have Josh Allen, but that's it. Like they don't have a Justin Fields. They don't have any of these other guys. They have a lot more statues, Mac Jones, Jared Goff, a lot of these pocket passers remaining on the schedule. So I don't think that that might be the problem to me. It's just, do you have to address maybe the linebacker position? And that's sort of the other thing I want to talk about too, where they don't really have a true linebacker outside of Leighton Van Der Esch and Damone Clark. They're trying to do it with Marquise Bell. I thought he should have got maybe a little bit more snaps in there. But if he's not that sort of true linebacker, the cost might be to fix this problem is to be going out and trading for somebody. And Todd, Ar- Todd Archer of ESPN brought this up you know, last week that if they were to address the Trayvon Diggs injury by getting a cornerback, they might go out for somebody who has only one year remaining on their deal and is a free agent in 2024. Cowboys have a lot of cap issues they need to iron out. They don't want to be committed to somebody long-term. Get somebody like a T.Y. Uh, T. Hilton that can just kind of be temporary. You move on next year. So there are a few options that I saw that cap-wise, they'll negotiate. They'll work all that stuff out. I'm not really concerned. That's not my job. Um, but they, there are a few names that are intriguing that have one year left on their contract that are expiring next year. You have two guys in Tampa Bay, Devin White and Levante David. Levante David is a long-term vet. I thought the Cowboys could go after him this offseason. He re-signed with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Devin White has been disgruntled this offseason. He wants a long-term deal, former first-round pick. Uh, you know, if this, the franchise is in transition, maybe they just want to offload these guys if their season doesn't turn out the way that they want. Um, I know they are 2-0 going into tonight's Monday night matchup, but again, you never know when the trade deadline comes what could be available. Frankie Luvu with Carolina, I am a big fan of him. I think he's a tackling machine. He's sort of that Micah Parsons hybrid where he could also be an edge rusher as well. This way, maybe you keep Leighton Vander Esch off the line of scrimmage, being more as a true linebacker. Uh, he has one year left on his deal, and again, changing over with uh, coaching, sca- coaching staff and scheme might make him available. And then the last one I put... It's a shot in the dark. Kenneth Murray, uh, former first-round pick. I know the Cowboys had a lot of interest in in him in 2020. Um, He's been injured a a ton, so that's why I think you can maybe get him at a discount and maybe just hope that new change of scenery, your strength and conditioning staff might get him a little bit more prepared. But I just really – I don't think it's a long-term issue. I think this is something that the Cowboys can address. Dan Quinn was very adamant that that they can fix this. He said that there were a lot of good parts from it, but I just think that when you throw in Donovan Wilson, when you move Deron Bland to the outside, Stephon Gilmore is a little slow in his older age. I think that when there's so many moving parts around, similar with an offensive lineman, when you move so many guys around, problems are going to happen that aren't usually something that you address, you know, two weeks prior with the run defense being so dominant. Yeah, no, I I, I think that's a good list. It's a good grocery list. I, I personally... I'm looking at the snap counts for Mozzie Smith, and, and actually it's gone down. So first week, 24%, uh, second week, 23%, and then just 20% of the snap count this week. I think for me, uh, you use a first-round pick on a guy. And I, I know you, you made the example of uh, Davis from Philly. I, that, you know, that's, a, that's a good point. It's a fair point. I do think with a guy like Mozzie Smith, I feel like he just needs he just needs to get in the game more. Like I, to me, I think twenty percent is way below what he needs to be doing. I think obviously Osa Digizua, I think he's doing a heck of, heck of a job inside. Obviously, we keep him on the field as much as possible. I think Hankins is is um, you know he's he's getting a, he's a little bit longer in the tooth. He's a veteran. I feel like you can. I feel like I feel like you can you know split that up a little bit more. I feel like. I feel like you should see more of Mozzie Smith. I think Mozzie Smith, and I've seen some of the footage online. I've seen, I've watched the games. When he's in the game, like you're not mush, you're not moving him. Like he's so strong, 
And I think if you if you keep a guy like him in the interior, he can help a guy who you know some perceive as too small, like a Marquise Bell, of uh, where he you know he's not a traditional linebacker. He's two hundred what ten pounds. Like I don't even care about that. Like when he was in the game yesterday, which was very limited, he took on blocks. A guy like Marquise Bell. I think there's enough athletic ability there where I think Dan Quinn's onto something with these smaller hybrid linebackers, safety type players, where you're going to see a lot more of the league continue to do that. I feel like you're not going to see as many 250 pound linebackers like you used to. You'll still see them in some systems, some schemes, but I feel like you're going to see guys that are kind of tweeners where they, you know, they have the safety skills and coverage, but you know, they have, you know, a big, they're big enough where they can play a linebacker and be an outside linebacker. I'm not expecting Marquise Bell to be, you know, the middle linebacker. That's what Van Der Esch is for. That's what Damone Clark is for. So, for you know, for example, if, if, if Leighton Van Der Esch gets hurt, the obvious choice is you move Clark in there because Clark has enough size to play middle linebacker as needed. For Halman, uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you, and you can answer this too, I, I do agree, Brandon, with what you're saying. To disagree, I, I think Hankins has been the best run defender that the team has had so far. I thought that when he was in, uh, he played very well going against Connor. I thought that he had actually some some decent amount of pressure into the backfield. But to to me, I'm all for having maybe Mozzie on a little bit more. Maybe the scheme prevented him from being on the field because he's a little bit slower of a player. They may might have wanted a little bit more speed. But Howman, did you want to talk about Hankins or anything else you want to bring up? Yeah, well, well. First of all, I, I want to say I'm glad we're talking about the defense because, you know, obviously I talked about red zone offense. Brandon talked about the offensive line. Those are two like you know big things to talk about. But also, when we talk about this Cowboys Cardinals game, like the story was the defense. Yeah. You know, we all got caught up in the red zone. We all got caught up in the Dak Prescott interception. But like 28 points given up to Josh Dobbs and the Cardinals. Like all due respect to Dobbs and everybody else. I'll even you know pull out a pull out of Brandon and I'll mention my alma mater, Arizona state because Dobbs originally committed to Arizona state. Then in the last second, he decommitted, went to Tennessee. So I have now two bones to pick with him, <laughs> but I mean, this offense, this offense from what we saw in the first two weeks should not have been able to score a touchdown, one touchdown against this defense from what we saw in the first two weeks. And they gave up 28 points and they can't get off the field. And when they do get stops, they have, you know, they have dumb penalties that extend the drives in no way did they play like themselves. And it, it came in the run game. It came in the pass game. You know, there were just guys were getting open. You know, they were getting to this, into the second level on the run blocks. And, you know, part of it is just the, the run fits were not good. Like a lot of times when you went back and looked at these big runs, they were just, you know, the defensive line just left these huge gaps. That And the Cardinals were just like, hey, you see that, you know, huge space? Like just run there. And, it, you know, you make it easy for him when you do that. And, you know, that that's where I'm like, you know, from a scheme standpoint, I trust Dan Quinn. He's going to get that fixed up. Like, you know, he's earned the benefit of the doubt at this point. These defensive players have earned the benefit of the doubt. But when we talk about Mozzie Smith, um, you know, to the point about his snap counts, like the first two games, he didn't play a whole lot, but he also played – just about as much as Hankins. I think in the first game, he played one snap fewer than Hankins. And in the second game, he actually played one snap more than Hankins played. And I kind of looked at that and said, well, you know, the the opponent, they were losing so early. They were throwing so much. They didn't put out their run stuffers out there. Like, it makes sense. But then this game, Hankins was out there for a good amount of time. Mozzie was barely out there. So 
I don't know if it's just a case of like the coaches don't quite trust him yet, or maybe because the Brown or the sorry the Cardinals they do run that kind of outside zone offense that the offensive coordinator came from with the Browns. Um, you know, maybe they just thought he's not a good matchup for this offense and the way that we're going to face him. But at a certain point, when they're running up the gut like that, and you know, Hankins has been a really good run defender, but at the same time, he can't play a whole game. Like he he's he's very much a specified role and he is kind of getting up there in age spelling with that rookie who's huge and just unmovable and when he did play just like he has in the first two weeks like there's been flashes and he's had some good plays where he gets penetration and kind of forces the running back to run into someone else and usually it's like demarcus lawrence is there to make the stop or someone else is there to make the stop but i really think you know with the run defense in this game it was just a lot of it came down to the run fits and they, they just left holes and the Cardinals were like, thank you. Thank you very much. I'll just take that. And, um, you know, to, to tie it back in with the car thing and also get a Taylor Swift reference in there. They saw, they saw a wide open alley for their getaway car. They hopped in, they took it straight down the highway. And I mean, it, it was just from the very beginning, they were taking advantage of the pursuit. They were taking advantage of the wide splits on the defensive line. And, you know, I, I trust Dan Quinn to get it together. No, it's a fair point. I, I do think that, like you're saying, if if they're going to keep Hankins in there for almost the entire game, you know, you spell him for the younger guy, just give him some some breath of fresh air, and then go from there. I just think that, as we mentioned at the top, these are certainly issues that can be fixed this week. It's I don't think that it's anything long term to me. It's like when you get into week four, week five, what you saw week one as like an observation week two becomes a trend and then week three and four they become habits and you hope they're good habits for the team to kind of keep forward and, and with momentum heading into the year but we all know if it's something that's bad and it's a bad habit habits are tough to break and I mean my mom told me that for years when I was a kid growing up so if the Cowboys turn a lot of these negative things into habits, I think it'll be really tough for them to break, and it'll be something that kind of creeps up for the rest of the year. But I, I don't think that we're necessarily there yet, and there's a lot of positive trends that we're seeing too as well. I, I'll just, I just want to add one other point. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the snap counts. I don't know if it concerns you as much as it concerns me, but why is not Neville Gall- Gallimore getting that many snaps? I just don't get it. Like he's getting, he's getting these like so far through three games. He has 63 snaps. Hankins has 63. I know the numbers are a little skewed because of each week. But why is Neville Gallimore still getting more snaps than Mozzie Smith? You know, I you know, from you know, before the season started, there was a lot of people that were out on Neville Gallimore. And I was actually one of them, to be honest with you. I was one of those where I felt like, okay, it might be time to move on from Gallimore. And he's getting more snaps through three weeks than Mozzie Smith, who the Cowboys spent a first round pick on. I hope that trend, you know, that trend changes, and I hope Mozzie Smith gets more gets more action because the only way this kid Mozzie Smith is going to be become become the player that I feel like he can be, he just needs to get in the game more. I don't want to take touches, you know, snaps away from um, from Osa. Osa's playing at a level where he's, you know, he's he's one of the best interior defensive linemen in the game right now. I don't care what anybody says he's playing his best ball right now. So I keep him on the field as much as possible. But on the other, on the other end, on the other end of that an interior defensive line, I need to see more Mozzie Smith. If it, if it's you know if, if Mozzie and him can split it, and then when one of them, when both of them have need a blow, then you bring Galmore in as like the the last resort. Then that's what you do. But Mozzie Smith needs more needs more snaps. That's the only way you're going to get you know you're going to get to the level potentially of like a Jordan Davis for Philly. Obviously, 
you know, that's what they've done with him. Like he didn't, you know, he didn't play as much last year. And also with him, he has Fletcher Cox. So, you know, in, in Philly. So that was a good guy to learn from. The Cowboys have a pretty, uh, pretty good group on our defensive line as well. So I feel like Mozzie Smith just needs more action, more action boss, as I like to say. Get him in the game. Let him play. You know what? And it may not always look pretty, but I feel like by the end of the season, Mozzie Smith can, can really make a difference for the, for the boys. I, I totally agree. I, I, I do think, though, there was one play on the Micah Parsons uh, strip that he had on Dalvin Cook. I mean, you could see Neville Gallimore just hustling. I think that he's he's turned into a, a different player from last year. I think he kind of realized that the writing was on the wall for potentially him not making the roster. And I think it changed his attitude a little bit. Um, so I've seen a little bit more. But like you're saying, I think that maybe if you want to put Mozzie out there with Hankins, I think that was their original idea. And we'll see. I, I think that Dan Quinn will look at this learn from it, help his players grow, and I think that they'll be better. Uh, speaking of the Patriots and week four, of course, Ezekiel Elliott's coming to town. Cowboys are back home at AT&T Stadium. Uh, Hammond, before we get out of here, what's one thing that you want to see from the Cowboys in week four uh, to try and get back on track here? I, I think really what I want to see is the defense just getting back in gear. Um, you know, with, with this Patriots offense, they've kind of struggled a little bit through these first few games. They have a new offensive coordinator in Bill O'Brien. They've brought in a lot of new weapons for Mac Jones to work with. And, you know, they've, they've had some moments, but they're definitely still getting their, their chemistry down together. Similar to the Cowboys, they've had a lot of injuries on their offensive line. Um, I'm pretty sure in week two, I think they all five of their linemen were on the injury report at some point. So they're kind of dealing with, with some problems there and some cohesiveness there. Um, and they've been dealing with them. They're still trying to figure it out. Even against the Jets this past week, like they weren't able to move the ball that well. So this is definitely a situation where it could kind of tip either way. The Cowboys could come in and say, like, we remember who we are on defense, and they can just take advantage of this offensive line. They can take advantage of the lack of chemistry that Mac Jones has with some of these receivers and just make the Patriots' life miserable. Or they could come in and just kind of be like, you know, we're, we're just trying to, you know, licking our wounds and trying to figure out what to do next, and this might be the game where Mac Jones, you know, it all clicks for this offense. They figure things out. So that's what I'm really looking for is can they come in and just impose their will on an offense that theoretically they should be able to, which they didn't do against the Cardinals. What about you, Brian? Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I second the defensive side. Now, I'll, more specifically, I feel like, again, we were just talking defensive line and, and, and the, the Patriots. I know a lot of people, a lot of Bama fans would say this, that Bill O'Brien likes to, likes to throw the ball around a lot more than in the previous regime with the Patriots on the offensive side. But when you have Mondre, Mondre season, as I like to call him, or Mondre Stevenson, and you have Ezekiel, you have two hammers that that are, uh, you know, they're they're very good running backs in this league. And you just saw what the Cardinals did to the Cowboys, where they put up over 200 yards on the ground. I don't know. I don't care what anyone says about you know Coach O'Brien with his pass, like his he's very pass oriented. You can't tell me he's watching the film this week and saying. Oh man, we got two guys that can run up that middle right now and, and really, you know, p- you know, put it to the Cowboys. So for me, it's it's uh, you know, shoring up that defensive line. You know, having Mozzie Smith in there, I want more Mozzie Smith. I mean, Osa, I think Osa's doing fine. I do, I, I don't, I'm not that concerned about the 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 passing game of the of the Patriots. Let's be honest. Let's look at their three starting receivers: Kendrick Bourne, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Devontae Parker. I, as a, you know, as a fan, as someone who's watched this game in my entire life, none of those three scare me. Like they really don't. Like I'm not like I'm not worried about like oh my god, 
we're going to lose to Kendrick Bourne today. No offense. Like he's, 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 he hasn't had a bad career. He's him and Matt Jones of these three receivers that I mentioned, he is the guy that I feel like he, you know, Matt Jones is the most comfortable with. So you can't let him sneak up on you, but I'm not at the exact time. I'm not like, this isn't a guy where he's not a CD lamb caliber type player. And the other part of it is too, these tight they they love their tight end. They have Hunter Henry and Mike Gusecki. Like those, those are two very solid tight ends. So for me, it also comes down to how, how does how does our uh, our linebacker slash safeties uh, you know take care of Hunter Henry and, and Mike Gusecki? And the way the Cowboys do it, the way Dan Quinn schemes up things, I think is in our favor because our guys are more athletic than Henry and Gusecki. It's just the only thing I worry about is. Henry and Gusecki are both very strong, big dudes. So, like, the physicality could be a little bit of a concern. But from an athletic perspective, I'm not too concerned about that. So, I feel like this is the perfect game for the Cowboys to to bounce back. I would like to see – I want to see some heavy heavy blitzing, too, because I want to see – I'd rather I'd rather force Mac Jones to, to beat us than anything else because I you know I, I'm not that high in Mac Jones as, a, as an NFL quarterback at this stage of the game so like for me like I want to see Dan Quinn just throw some exotic stuff at him but you know in typical Bill Belichick fashion don't be surprised if we get a heavy dose of of Mondre uh, Stevenson or Mondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott because they they watched the same film that we did so I think you know Dan Quinn's gonna have to he's got his work cut out for him he needs to shore that up or it could be another long a long game uh, for the Cowboys defense yeah I, I mentioned that too I said that you know, the one thing I want to see is the pass defense get a bounce back game. We know Deron Bland had a little bit of a struggle. Dan Quinn said that he was one of the better players in the game. And I do agree. I think he's kind of settled down towards the end of the game, but I want to see a little bit more from him. Uh, the Cowboys didn't force a, a turnover or an interception rather on Josh Dobbs um, on Sunday. And Mac Jones has two interceptions on the year. He's been known to turn the ball over a few times, um, especially whenever the Cowboys play him. Um, they, he did so in 2021. So I want to see the secondary kind of take a bounce back. If you're getting beat by Juju, Kendrick Bourne, all these guys, I think there might be some concerns starting to fill up um, for the Cowboys in the secondary. You know, Stephon Gilmore against speed, that might be something that they kind of exploit. Booty's a guy that has a lot of speed, especially also Kendrick Bourne, too. So maybe they might take advantage of that with Gilmore. Um, but to me, you have to play a little bit better in the secondary. If you lose to guys like that, might be a little concerning because next on the schedule, you do have the 49ers and then, oh, also the Chargers too before your bye week. So those are pretty prolific offenses that you're going to have to go against. So I think if you can kind of solidify it now, get things ironed out, it'll kind of build a roadmap to get better towards the end in the next few weeks. So with that being said, uh, Howman, plug your social media and Twitter following, things that are coming out on Blogging the Boys. And then, uh, Brandon, give us your social media handle as well. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at underscore DH44 underscore. Um, be tweeting my thoughts out throughout the week. And then also uh, you can read my stuff on bloggingtheboys.com. I've got the, the the McCarthy Chronicles coming up, talking about the offensive issues and how they're going to kind of work through that. Um, coming up soon too, after the Monday Night Football games are, are in the can and have all the, the data tabulated, will be the, the weekly Cowboys analytics roundup looking at just basically how much did this loss set the Cowboys back looking at the advanced metrics and then kind of getting into more looking at that Patriots game and seeing what those matchups are going to be. Uh, you can follow me on X at icebreaker 21. 
Yeah, as as advertised, I do jump on the uh, the X machine during the games uh, throughout the week. Maybe not so much. You, you'll catch an occasional tweet from me, or they call them tweets now. I don't even know, but post. We'll call it a random post here and there. But during the during the games, you'll catch me very active, as you guys saw this past weekend. I was not happy a lot of the time this past uh, this this past Sunday, as as we all were. But yes, at Icebreaker Twenty One on X. Now you know you can catch me. You know on you know, I'm always on here every week, the writers block, and then uh, I will I do probably like ninety five percent of the uh, the roundtables, which you'll catch every Tuesday night, uh, nine p.m. Eastern. So it's a it's a newer time for me. I had to get used to that uh, when I saw it. So it's nine. 9 p.m. Eastern Tuesday nights with uh, various uh, various guys and guys and gals. Uh, you know, Hallman's been on there. I know you've been on there, Lori. Uh, obviously, RJ is our, our fearless leader. You know, we got a great crew, so I'm usually on that as well. So you'll see me. You'll, you'll hear my voice and see me on the YouTube page a lot this season. And I'm also going to gloat about my uh, my prediction about the the Cowboys offensive line woes. And I mean, it's it sucks that I have to gloat about it, but. I'm going to gloat about it because, you know, I, I was the only one that had this, the stones to, to throw it out there this past uh, week. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to pat my, pat myself on the back here and just say, I told you so I hate saying it, but I'm, I'm curious to see what the boys are going to say on Tuesday, uh, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, uh, eight or 9 PM Eastern, make sure you catch it. It's a lot of fun. So on the YouTube channel, if you miss it, it's all over the podcast network, as you know. Brandon will, Brandon will tease it even more. We're all over the place. So Twitter, X, whatever. But again, at Icebreaker21, you'll find me on uh, various various podcast uh, shows along the network. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and on the positive note, right? Glass half full, you got something right. That's something to be happy about. Uh, maybe not the score prediction for any of us here, but that's okay. You live and learn. You live to fight another day. Uh, you could follow me on X at, at Brandon is right. That is W-R-I-T-E. And yes, uh, be sure to follow everything that happens on the blog and the boys podcast network. Like, subscribe, review, give us a five-star rating if you uh, choose to do so. And I hope you do, uh, because we like to think we're five stars here. Uh, just like a very advanced, uh, you know, uh, mechanic um, here. We're, we're not Jiffy Lou. We're not Mavis Discount Tire. Uh, we're pretty good here um, at the Writer's Block Podcast. <laughs> so for David Hallman, Brandon Clements, I am Brandon Laurie. We will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for tuning into the Writer's Block Podcast. And as always, go Cowboys. Cowboys. <laughs>